All right. Good evening, everyone. Let us let us begin. So we are continuing in Merit Hashem tonight, getting back to our core mission of Sefer Tehillim. And over the years of learning Sefer Tehillim, we've gone through many different uh, many different cycles. So I actually want to pick up where I left off. I don't know when the last time we did Sefer Tehillim, whenever it was, which is in Kapitel Ayin, Chapter Seventy in Sefer Tehillim. Now, the beautiful part about Sefer Tehillim, we're going to see some of this tonight. Is on one hand. The Kapitlach, the chapters themselves, first I'm sorry, our shir tonight is dedicated by Mrs. Engelsberg in memory of her brother, Asher Nachman ben Shaul, Zichron Livrach. We hope that in the merit of our Tamu Torah, the Nisham will have an Aliyah and the family a Nechama. So the beautiful part about Sefer Tehillim is that the, th- the themes of each individual Kapitel, on one hand, they're individual themes, but on the other hand, the thematic overtones often build on one another. So tonight, what we're going to see over the course of this capital of Kapitel Ayin, chapter 70, is on one hand a self-contained theme, but on the other hand also a theme that builds on a little bit of the capital before. And so let's begin. It's a short capital, so Merit Hashem, we're just going to spend this week on it. And David HaMelech writes as follows, number one, Lam Natseach David Lahaskir. So literally, again, for the conductor, of David to remember. To remember. So remember again, just we've mentioned many times in the past, David HaMelech writes Lam Natseach for the conductor, because remember, if the one thing that David HaMelech wanted more than anything in life, the one thing he wanted more than anything was to build the Beis HaMikdash. And the one thing that he was denied over and over was the ability to go ahead and build the Beis HaMikdash. So David HaMelech, even though he can't build the Beis HaMikdash, he does whatever else is within his power. So number one, again, he has the ability to purchase the actual real estate upon which the Beis HaMikdash would be situated. And he also composed the music that the Levitic choir would go ahead and sing in the Beis HaMikdash. So whenever you see Lam Natseach for the conductor, that's David HaMelech saying, this is something that is so important. This is a theme that is so pivotal that he wants it to be sung in the base Hamikdash. So what's so what is that about talking about over here? Elokim, Hashem Oh God, hasten to save me. Oh Lord, hasten to my assistance. May those who seek my life be shamed and humiliated. May those who desire my harm turn back and be disgraced. Let them return in the path of their shame, those who say, Aha, Aha. Now we'll have to give a little bit of a better definition than Aha, Aha, in just a little bit. May all those who seek you exult and rejoice, and may those who love your salvation say constantly, may God be magnified. Vani, as for me, ani ve'evyon, I am poor and needy. Elokim chushali ezra umifati ato Hashem al ta'acher. O God, hasten to me. You are my aid and my rescuer. O Lord, do not delay. Okay, so this is the entire capital. What's the theme? What's the theme of this chapter of Tillam? What would you say? What's the theme? Help, right? Which is the theme, in other words, there are certain overarching themes within Sefer Tehillim, and this is probably one of the dominant themes that we find over and over and over. David HaMelech saying, I'm in trouble, right? I'm oppressed. There are those who are trying to go ahead and beat me down in life, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you will come through for me. This is a theme that we find repeated 
over and over because the truth is this was the essence of David Melech's life. We speak about this almost, this almost like an inescapable reality when you learn Sefer Tehillim, which is that David Melech had an overwhelmingly difficult life. Every single thing that could go wrong went wrong. And every single type of adversity and difficulty that one could possibly encounter, David HaMelech encountered. Remember, so when David HaMelech speaks about enemies, who are David's enemies? Who are David's enemies? I'm sorry? Right, so first of all, pretty much David HaMelech had all kinds of enemies. Remember, he had internal enemies, we'll call it familial enemies. So enemies within his own family, of Shalom, who we're going to discuss in just a little bit, rebellion of his son. Remember, again, his problems with family already started earlier. He had a difficult relationship with his brothers. He had a difficult relationship with his father-in-law, although difficult relationship with his father-in-law is kind of putting it mildly. His father-in-law wanted to kill him, and that's not like a metaphor. It's not a metaphor. It's not saying that a strained relationship. He literally wanted to kill him. And so David HaMelech had has familial enemies, and David HaMelech also has many detractors. Within Klal Yisrael itself, David HaMelech has, so when you see a capital like this, when you see a capital like this, and you hear David HaMelech saying, Elohim, just in Pasuk Beis, in the second verse, Elohim latzilini Hashem la'ezra sichusha, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, save me, save me, save me. This is the existential cry of David HaMelech. Save me. Life is so overwhelming. Life is so difficult. I often find myself just simply overwhelmed. You know, you know it, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. People deal, people deal with stress in different ways, right? What are some of the ways that people deal with stress? Eat. Okay, right? True. Good. Some other ways that people deal with stress? Davin. Beautiful. Exercise. Great. Say to Helen, beautiful, cry. Good. You know, it's interesting. One of the most common ways that people deal with stress is they don't deal with stress. People shut down. People shut down. Who's the paradigmatic example of people shutting down in the face of stress? The paradigmatic example? I'm sorry? Alcohol. Alcohol, that's a use, right? Escape. I'm saying, good, that is true. Who, who is the paradigmatic example? of someone faced with a stressful situation who chooses inaction as a way to deal with stress? Hagar. Hagar, good, excellent, right? Hagar just kind of sits at a distance. Good, who else? Yona, right? Yona is one of the paradigmatic examples of this because when the boat is about to capsize, what does Yona do? He goes to sleep. People go to sleep for two reasons. Reason number one, because you're tired. Good. Reason number two? Sleep is an escape. Sleep is an escape, right? We know this. A person, Rahman is suffering with depression, right? So one, one of the signs is person engaging in prolonged periods of sleep. Why? Because sleep is an escape. So Yona is facing a tumultuous situation, and what does he do? He goes to bed. You ever wonder to yourself, Yona, how do you fall asleep? Right? The, bo- the boat is about to capsize, right? The boat is, who could imagine, again, it was being rocked aside. How do you fall asleep? Because, again, when you're looking to escape, you could accomplish many different things. One of the most incredible things about David HaMelech is that he could have chosen so many mechanisms of escape from his stressful life. But yet, every single time David HaMelech encounters stress, the way he deals with stress is through connection. And specifically, connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's one of the most profound lessons from all of Sefer Tehillim. 
And, and, and what, a, what a profound lesson for us, you know, in, in the times in which we're living through right now, highly stressful and highly difficult and highly overwhelming times as individuals and as a nation. And yet David HaMelech kind of tells us, resist the temptation to withdraw, resist the temptation to shut down, and instead take all of that anxiety and channel it into our relation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right, what is David Amal saying in this capital? You know, if you wanted to go ahead and condense this entire, I mean, it's a short chapter anyway, but if you wanted to condense the entire thing into one line, right, what would it be? What would it be? Help me. Help me because I'm overwhelmed. Help me because I'm surrounded. Help me because I don't know how to navigate out of these circumstances. Just help me. Now, sometimes people look at a call for help as a form of weakness, but on a theological level, it's such a display of strength. Weakness would be withdrawal, right? Weakness would be going to sleep. Weakness would be giving up. But what David HaMalach says is, I recognize sometimes I can't solve my own problems, but I'm not going to go ahead and give in to despair. Instead, if I can't solve my own problems, I'm going to reach out to the entity, to the power that can. That's the profundity of this capital. Now, well, it's interesting, and really what I want to focus on tonight, although there are many things that we could focus on over here, is really the first verse. Where David HaMelech says, Lam so that we've spoken about, right? Lam David, Lahazkir. So David HaMelech is interesting. David HaMelech says, this capital is about memory. Lahazkir. So right, to the conductor, David HaMelech is right now, remember again, Ledavid, Ledavid, Remember, in, in Tilim itself, you'll find different ways that David HaMelech opens the capital. Sometimes there's Mizmar Ledavid, sometimes there's Ledavid Mizmar, and sometimes there's just Ledavid. Certain chapters of Tilim were written with prophetic inspiration, and other Kapitlach of Tilim were just David self-motivating. You know, one of the most beautiful things about Sefer Tilim. So when, for example, so when you see Mizmar Ledavid or Ledavid Mizmar, those are often kapitlach that were written in some state of prophetic elevation. When you just see Ledavid, Ledavid, there's no prophecy there. There's no prophecy. So if there's no prophecy, then what is it? It's self-inspiration. You see, one of the incredible things that David HaMalach teaches us, you know, it's interesting. Today, everybody wants to be inspired, right? We all want to be inspired. Just what's the catch? I want someone else to inspire me, right? So in other words, I'm ready for it. I'm really ready for it. I'll even put down the remote, right? That's how ready, that's how ready I, for it I am, right? I'll, I'll even not check my email while I'm ready to be inspired, right? But it's someone else's job to inspire me, whoever, whoever, whoever that someone else is. And part of the profundity and the greatness of David HaMelech is you need to own your own spirituality, if you want to be an inspired person, fantastic. What are you doing to self-inspire? Ledavid, Ledavid. There's no Mizmar, David, no David, Mizmar, Ledavid. Ledavid was a time when Dalanach was struggling incredibly, but he chooses to self-inspire. So now we have Lam for the conductor, which means that whatever the theme of this capital is, it's important enough that David Amalekh wants it sung in the Beis HaMikdash. Ledavid, there's no prophecy here. There's no nevuah, there's no ruach hakodesh, there's simply self-inspiration. So, what's the self-inspiration? The haskir. What I'm about to say over here, David Amalek says, this is something that needs to be remembered. 
So what's, what's the memory? What, what is it that's being remembered over here in this capital? So I'll show you something interesting. I'm actually going to skip a little bit. Let's go to number four. So the Malbim says something really beautiful. The Malbim says, Ki mizmarzeh, mizmarzeh, hispalo babarchom av shalom. So this is actually fascinating. So remember, almost all of Sefer Tehillim, not, not all, but much of Sefer Tehillim, could be traced to specific events in King David's life. In other words, when you delve a little bit deeper, you know, I, I've mentioned this in the past, sometimes the beauty in Sefer Tehillim, I know this might sound strange, is not knowing what you're saying. Anyone ever hear of that experience? Right? Sometimes you're having a difficult time in life, you just open your Tehillim. If somebody were to ask you, can you translate that phrase? You'd be like, nope, no idea what it's saying. And yet, isn't it incredible that it's the very words of them that sometimes provide the greatest comfort, more than Shemona Esrei, right? more than Shema, more than anything else. There's a beauty in Tehillim, the, a part, part of this, because it it's almost like what Tehillim represents on a certain level is like, like the simplest form of faith in connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I don't have to understand what it is that I'm saying in order to tap into the power. That's one level of Tehillim. On a deeper level, almost every chapter of Tehillim corresponds to something that happened in David HaMelech's life. And Sefer Tehillim almost becomes like the biographical diary of David HaMelech. And you could see a lot about how he handled different circumstances, good and difficult, through what he writes in Sefer Tehillim. So the Malbim in number four says that this chapter, chapter 70, David HaMelech wrote when he ran away from Avshalom. So two, two, uh, two moments about this. David HaMelech has a son by the name of Avshalom. Avshalom leads a rebellion against his father. Now remember again, What's the genesis of this rebellion? Where, where, does it, where does it come from? Where does it start from? So remember again, like everything in David HaMelech's life, it really begins with the episode with Bathsheba. Right? David HaMelech again has, has that indiscretion with Bathsheba and there were three punishments that ultimately again came about because of that event with Bathsheba. Number one, David HaMelech was stricken with illness. Number two, the first child he had with Bathsheba, the baby died, died in infancy. And number three, the prophet Nasser Hanavi told him that there is going to be a rebellion from within his own family. Those are the three, 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 three fallouts or three repercussions from that event with Bathsheba. The rebellion was led by his son Avshalom. Avshalom stages a tremendous coup against his father, and David Amalek makes a decision. He's not going to fight his father, uh, his son. Excuse me. He's not going to fight his son. So what does he do? He gathers up his, some belongings, he takes like his kitchen cabinet, and he fled Yerushalayim. He would not go ahead and fight his son. Not only that, not only that, but even when Avshalom was on the run, right, when the tide turned against Avshalom, David HaMelech gave explicit instructions to his generals, do not harm my son. Do not harm my son. So therefore the Malbim says, David HaMelech said this, he said this capital, chapter 70, when he was running away from Avshalom. Why? Look what he writes over here. Number four. He says, Because remember again, also the rebellion of Avshalom comes when David HaMelech is already an old man. He's already advanced in years. Now listen to this. 
So the Malbim says something amazing. The Malbim says that this capital is really a little bit more of like a retrospective capital. What is it talking about? It's David Malk reflecting on his life. And David Malk saying, you know what? Throughout my life, I've been through so much adversity, so much difficulty. But here's the incredible thing. Every single time HaKadosh Baruch Hu got me through it. Every time he got me through it. Now, let, let's, let's talk about this in just a moment. When David Amar says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu got me through adversity, what does that mean? Or I should say, what doesn't it mean? What doesn't it mean? It doesn't mean that the stories ended, everyone lived happily ever after. You know, I've mentioned this a number of times. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, had a beautiful piece where he discusses that in Judaism, he says in the world of literature, there are often two different types of stories. There are, there's like Greek mythology and there are fairy tales. So if you have read Greek mythology, as a kid I was always fascinated by Greek mythology, right? But Greek mythology always has the same story, which is you have capricious, unpredictable gods who just do anything and everything to pull the rug out from under man, right? Man could do whatever he wants, but the gods are going to foil their plans, right? And fairy tales, how do fairy tales end? And everyone lived happily ever after. So Rabbi Sachs says, in Judaism, we have neither of those stories. We don't have mythology because we have HaKadosh Baruch Hu who wants our success and who works on our behalf constantly. But we also don't have stories that end and everyone lived happily ever after. It's overwhelming, right? There's not one story like that. In all of Tanakh, there, there will be one story like that, right? The one story that will be like that will be the story of Mashiach. That's what's unique about the Messianic story. It's the only story in the destiny of our people that ends that way. How does the Torah end? How does the Torah end? Moshe Benu dies, right? Moshe Benu dies. He's feet away, literally, steps away from entering into Eretz The one thing he wanted, no, can't go in. And you go, story after story after story, book after book after book, nothing ever ends and everything, and everything, everyone lived happily ever after. So this is important. So when David HaMal says the Malbim, David HaMal says, I've been in so many difficult situations in life and you always got me through. Always got me through means I'm still here. I'm still standing. I learned something, I grew in some way, and I am stronger as a result of all of my life circumstances. So the Malbim says something amazing. In this capital which David HaMelech is writing, during the rebellion of Afshalom, during the rebellion of his son, what he says is, In this moment when my own child is rebelling against me, I have to remember. What do I have to remember? What do I have to remember? That HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you've been by my side every step of the way. You've held my hand through this entire tumultuous journey of life. I was on the brink of disaster so many times and you always kept me from falling off the edge of the cliff. And the same way you've done that for me in the past, you will continue to do that for me now, even in the midst of this overwhelming situation where literally my son is ready to kill me. You have to understand what this means to be David HaMelech, right? You go from a father-in-law ready to kill you, right, to a son who's ready to kill you. And even the people who don't want to kill you, 
really don't like you. Right? This, this is a lot of David Amalek's life. So says the Mabin, it's really incredible. So again, the theme of the capital is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I face tremendous adversity and you always come through. The Malbim, what's the context? The context is the rebellion of Avshalom. And now in one of these last tumultuous episodes of David HaMelech's life, L'Amnatzeach L'David L'Haskir. What I have to remember more than anything is, I've been here before. Okay, not with my son, not with Avshalom, but I've been in these disastrous situations before. You've saved me and provided me for me for me before, and you, Akadish Baruchu, will come through for me again. That's what I have to remember. That's what I have to keep reminding myself. That's the Lahaskir. Use the memory of past salvations to give me chizuk to deal with this current difficulty. Incredible. So when I saw this idea, you know, it got me thinking a little bit about the concept of memory and the concept of, of you know, in general, in general, we have, as Jews, we have, we have a fascinating, like, obsession with memory, with memory, right? It's, it, right we, and, we, and we use memory in all, in all kinds of ways. We use memory, Zachar is asher asalacha amalek. Remember that which amalek did to you. But we also have positive memory, right? Chayiv adam liros es asmo kiliyotza Pesach. We're obligated to remember that which was, that we were supposed to view ourselves as if we left Egypt. So memory has many different components to it. I want to show you another example of the profundity of the power of memory. So take a look at number five. This is actually last. So, okay, pause, Safer, tell me here for just a moment. Let's go into the parasha. Not this week's parasha, last week's parasha. So Pazik says as follows. Number five. Pazik says, let me give you a little bit of context. Remember, Yosef, this is last week's parasha. Um, Parshas Miketz. So remember again, Yosef is in Egypt. Yosef is in Egypt, having risen to the position of Viceroy of Egypt. No one knows where he is, right? Everyone thinks he's dead. Father thinks he's dead. Brothers, uh, whatever, whatever they thought, right? And Yosef's kind of gone on with his life, right? Yosef's building his own life in Egypt. Remember, Yosef is then catapulted to this new position of prominence after interpreting the dreams of Paro. And then an amazing confluence of events because of regional famine, the brothers, the Shvatim, come down to Egypt. And who are they face to face with? Who are they face to face with? Yosef. Of course, they don't know that it's Yosef. Yosef recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And now he's the guy in charge of giving them food. So the Torah says, follows number five. So when Yosef saw his brothers, he remembered his dreams. Right, the dreams of the previous parsha. Remember again, two dreams: dreams of sheaves of wheat bowing down to Yosef, sheaves, dreams of sun and moon and stars bowing down to Yosef. So now remember, the brothers, the brothers are all bowing down; they're all prostrating themselves in front of Yosef. Yosef sees this and he remembers his dreams. Vayomer aleyem meraglim atem liros es ervas haares basem, and he accuses them of being spies. Accuses them of being spies. You know, this, this begins the whole story, right? The whole charade. When you look at the verse, right? You look at the verse number five, there's a problem, right? What's the problem? What's the problem? Right. In other words, what's the connection between the two pieces? The passage begins by saying, Yosef remembered his dreams 
And then it says he accuses them of being spies. So what, I don't understand, what, what's, what's the connection? Here, so in other words, if it was two psukim, okay, he remembered his dreams, period. He accused him of being But the, the fact that it's one pasuk seems to create a linkage between Yosef's right, remembrance of remembering of the dreams and the accusation of being spies. So interestingly enough, if you take a look, Rashi number six says as follows. Asher chalam lahem. So Yosef remembered his dreams. And Rashi number six, sorry, says, Asher chalam lahem, So Rashi says, Yosef remembered his dreams. Why did he remember his dreams? Because the dreams were fulfilled. Because the brothers had come to Egypt. They were bowing down to him. Okay, so Rashi understands that he remembered the dream because in this moment the dreams themselves were fulfilled. Turn the page, turn over. Number seven, the Ramban. So the Ramban quotes this Rashi, right? Look at the second line and he says, The Ramban says, no, the dreams didn't come true, right? Why didn't the dreams come true? I'm sorry? Number one, Yaakov is not there. Who else is not there? Right, Rachel had already passed away, right, not there. Who else is not there? Binyamin. So the Ramban says something amazing. He says, The Ramban says, when Yosef sees his brothers bowing down, he remembers the dreams, right? But he also knows that the dreams require all of the brothers, right? And the dreams require... Yaakov, right? And Binyamin's not there, and Yaakov's not there. And therefore, again, the, Malbim, sorry, excuse me, the Ramban goes on and he explains. They, look, look at the last two lines. This is incredible. The Ramban says, here's what happened, right? Look how to read the Pasek. The brothers are bowing down to Yosef. When Yosef sees the brothers bowing down, he remembers his dreams. But in that moment, he also realizes that what? This is not the fulfillment of the dreams. So now, Yosef takes it upon himself to actualize the fulfillment of the dreams. Well, how is he going to get Yaakov and Binyamin down to Egypt? How is he going to do that? Oh, Vayomra Aleihem Miraglimatem. Then he hatches this whole plan. Right? Then there's the whole plan, and the goal of the plan ultimately is to get everyone down to Egypt for the fulfillment of the dreams. So the Ramban says that's the connection between the two parts of the Pasuk. The brothers bow down. When they bow, Yosef remembers his dream, but he also realizes now that this is not a fulfillment of the dreams because Yaakov and Benjamin are missing. So now he asks them, create a plan. Create a plan in order to allow for the fulfillment of the dreams. What was the plan? He accuses them of being spies. Now, why Yosef feels that he needs to create a plan for the fulfillment of the dreams is a different discussion. It's a different discussion, right? As Yosef, as they say, if the dream is true, then what? Then what? It's going to happen, right? You, you don't hurt. It's, it's almost like saying, you know, last night I had a dream that I ate a tub of vanilla ice cream. Right? And so again, so, so I'm going to go to the supermarket, buy the tub of it, and, and, and again, it's, it's a dream. Got to make it come true. Obviously, again, it's, if it's supposed to come true, it'll come true by itself. But we're going to leave that question on the side.
I think that there's a simpler understanding of the Pasuk. The simpler understanding of the Pasuk is that at the end of the day, when Yosef saw the brothers prostrating themselves, he remembered his dreams. And how do you think Yosef felt when he remembered his dreams? How do you think he felt? Angry, betrayed, humiliated, hurt. See, I think Pasha Pshat is Yosef is not really preoccupied with making the dreams come true. Because Yosef knows enough if the dreams were truly prophetic. So prophecies, prophecies are messaging from HaKadosh Baruch The Moshe runs the world. He doesn't need me to make the dreams come true. He'll make the dreams come true. And what was his reaction? His reaction was anger. His reaction was animosity. Why? Because Yosef was at least initially filled with anger and animosity towards his brothers. Let's understand, you know, we read these stories. And the truth is, many of us who've been reading these stories for many years. And sometimes when the stories kind of become second nature, we lose some of the emotional magnitude of these stories. You know, you're Yosef. You imagine for a moment you're Yosef. At a young age, you've lost your mother. Okay? Baruch Hashem, you have a loving and supportive father. You have brothers who hate you and make no secret about their animosity towards you. Now, granted, Yosef didn't help things, right? He definitely, again, was a little bit immature in his relationship and his relating towards his brothers. His father sends him out to the middle of nowhere to check on his brothers. The brothers rob him of his dignity, of his clothing, and sell him as a piece of, as a piece of property. All these years, no one ever comes looking for him. All of these years, no one ever, right? For Yaakov was a pretty influential guy. If you're Yosef, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, why did my father send me all alone into the clutches of my brothers? You know, sometimes when you have too much time to think, you know, a whole bunch of stuff starts swirling around. So Yosef sees his brothers, he remembers the dreams, and he remembers how profoundly mistreated he was by his brothers. So what does he do? Vayomra aleim miraglim atem liros es ervas basem. Think about it for just a moment. What's the worst thing that Yosef could have done to his brothers in that moment if he was filled with anger towards them? What's the worst thing he could have done? Accuse them of treason. Come in orders. This is the worst thing you can do. He's not just going to kill them because he can't just kill people. Even in Egypt, there's somewhat of a system, a, a, a system, right? But if you tell, if you accuse people of ultimately trying to undermine the interests of the homeland, right, of Mitzrayim, that's the worst kind of accusation that you can make. Remember again, why did the brothers, and here's what's incredible, why did the brothers react in such a way to Yosef? Ultimately, again, what, what they thought Yosef was trying to undermine the future of the Abrahamic tradition. They thought Yosef was trying to cut them out of the picture. So Yosef almost levels the same exact accusation at them. I think the Pashat Pshat, the simple understanding in this Pasuk, is that Yosef sees his brothers prostrating towards him. He remembers the dreams, but he doesn't remember the dreams as some form of prophecy. He remembers the anger, the animosity, the hatred that his brothers felt towards him and how they allowed that to be translated into action. And he reciprocates, so to speak, by making this accusation against them.
memory. But here's what's fascinating about this. Go down a little bit. Take a look at, take a look at number nine. And number nine. So this is incredible. He says, so if, if, you, if you think a little bit though, remember, I'm going, I'm going out of chronological order. Number nine is even earlier, right? So number nine is before this episode that we just read above, right? But before the episode of Yosef remembering his brothers and seeing the brothers prostrate, right? Even before any of that. So what happens? Yosef, remember again, is catapulted to this new position of power and he's given a wife, right? Interestingly enough, the daughter of Potiphar, daughter-in-law of Potiphar, right? So, so he, and he has the Torah, look at number nine. Yosef, he marries a young woman, Asnas, and they have two children. They have two children. What were their children? The firstborn child was named Menasha. Why? Literally, Yachadish Baruch caused me to forget all of my toil and my father's home. The second son he called Ephraim, Rai, because Hashem literally made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Good. What's troubling about the names? What's troubling? Or what's intriguing about the names? Good. So remember again, hold on to that for a second. Hold on to that. Because remember again, nine chronologically is before is before six is before six right so again in number nine he's saying i've forgotten everything we're going to come back to that in just a moment excellent what about the sequence of the names if you were if you were scripting this which name would you put first why so i would have thought that the way this works is like this yosef suffered a terrible life setback what could help to alleviate that pain what could help to alleviate that pain? Success. Success. Baruch Hashem, I found success. Ephraim. Ki Ephrani Elohim Be'eretz Anya Hashem. You've given me success in my life. Thank God. It's success. And therefore, once I've experienced Ephraim's success in my life, then what? Then what? Then I could have Menasha afterwards. Then I can forget the difficulties of my past because Baruch Hashem, I now have present successes. I don't know if I was writing it, that's how I, if, I, if it was my kids, and I was in this situation, that's how I would think to do it, right? The pain is so raw. I live with this pain every single day. Now, Baruch Hashem, I'm the second in command to Pharaoh. I have a wonderful wife, right? I have wealth. I have status. Hashem made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Life is good. Now that life is good, now... I could forget all of the difficulties of my past. But yet, that's not how Yosef names his kids. Right? How does Yosef name his kids? First, Menasha, I've forgotten all of the pain of my past. And then, and then what? And then, ultimately, Ephraim, I've been successful. Yosef teaches us an incredibly profound lesson, which is that sometimes you need to forget Sometimes you need to let go of the pain and of the failures of the past in order to be able to move forward in life. Yosef understood that if I'm going to hold on to the pain of what my brothers did to me, and if I'm going to hold on to the pain of what maybe even he thought his father did to him, 
If I'm just going to go ahead and be mired in pain all of the time, I can never succeed. I will be immobilized, I'll be paralyzed, and I will be stuck in place. So instead, Yosef makes an amazing, amazing, ridiculously brave step. He says, you know what? I'm letting it go. I'm forgetting everything. I, the past is the past. My dahava hava, what was, was. I'm closing the book on that past chapter. That's behind me. Now that that's behind me, Ephraim, ki Ephrani elokim Sometimes you have to detach yourself from the pain, from the difficulty, from the loss, from the letdown, from the adversity, from the failures of the past in order to be able to build a different future going forward. It's incredible. There's only one problem, which is, which is, it didn't work, right? Because remember again, after this whole beautiful idea, remember again, then afterwards, you come back to number six, right? You go back to number six. What was, I'm sorry, number five. Vayiskar Yosef Esachalomos. Yosef remembered. Yosef remembered. What? He remembered, by the way, this is not an indictment, not an indictment. It's just a fascinating study in human nature and a fascinating study in unresolved trauma. That's what this is. You see, you could forget, you could say that you're forgetting something, but the truth is we don't forget, we don't forget anything, right? We don't forget anything. Yeah, you, know, you know, this often this happens, well, it could happen perhaps sometimes in certain could happen in certain relationships, maybe even sometimes a marriage, where something occurs, something occurs, right? There's a disagreement, and then somehow that one disagreement like opens the file cabinet. I'm avoiding eye contact with my wife as I'm saying this, right? right? O- opens, right? Opens the file cabinet on like a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, what's that? I, I felt like I thought that we resolved that. Like I thought, I thought, I thought that's done. I, I, I thought that's finished, but it's not done. It's not done unless it's... So Yosef, Yosef, in an incredibly brave moment, says, I'm putting the past behind me. I'm done. Except you can't just put a past like that behind you. You can't just go ahead and file away an event, a traumatic event, like Yosef underwent. You can't just say, I've forgotten it. See, that was Yosef's mistake. Yosef thought, I could forget it. He forgot it as long as there wasn't a trigger. And the moment there was a trigger, and the trigger for Yosef was a very simple trigger, it was his brothers. You see, out of sight, out of mind, right? If, if, if you know, they're in Canaan, I'm Mitzrayim, we're all good to go. I've forgotten it all. But the moment they're there, and the moment they're bowing down, and the moment, again, he remembers everything about his childhood and everything about the dreams. So suddenly, again, the man who endeavored to forget ultimately, again, is engulfed by vivid memories. Vayiska Yosef. Vayiska Yosef. And that's why, again, and what's incredible is, that's why his reaction makes so much sense. Right? We see this. We know this in life. We, we, again, you know, the, the word trauma, the word trauma is a, very, is a very amorphous term that can mean many different things Many people undergo traumatic events. And one person's trauma for someone else might not be anything. Another person's trauma for someone else, you know, again, 
and, and the incredible part about when a person undergoes trauma and then as a trigger, right, often the reaction to that trigger is often amplified and exaggerated in many ways. So Yosef thought he forgot. Yosef thought he forgot or he tried to forget. Now he sees his brothers. He remembers everything. And what's his reaction? Maraglamatem. Maraglamatem. The first reaction almost was like, is trying to make the dreams come true. But Pashib Shat, Pashib Shat, is that he's reacting with anger. He's reacting with animosity. He's been triggered because all of that negativity came flooding back. But even if we kind of just zoom out a little bit, what you begin to see from Yosef is really an incredibly profound idea. That in life, in life, there is this mindset that sometimes you have to forget in order to move on. Sometimes you have to let go in order to be able to move yourself forward. You know, Shlomo HaMelech says, Shlomo HaMelech says, you know, in, in Mishra, he says, Remove the anger from your heart. Remove the anger from your heart. Right? You're angry at someone? Shlomo HaMelech says, remove the anger from your heart. You know, the Ramam and Hilchos Deus writes, if a person has a problem with anger, present with anger, Ram says, you know, there are certain, you know, generally a person is supposed to have like a, a little bit of every midah. But there are certain midahs, there are certain characteristics that are so corrosive that a person has to try to remove them in total. One of the, one of, one of the most corrosive characteristics Ram says is anger. I said, Ram says, so what does a person do if they have a problem with getting angry? Right, what does Ram say? What does Ram say? Stop getting angry. It's like, wow, I could have been Maimonides, you know. Stop getting angry. So where does Ram get that from? That sometimes in life, you just have to make a choice to let go. And sometimes that's, that, that's what it is. Now, what we see from Yosef is that sometimes you make a choice to let go, and you're fine as long as you're not triggered. And you're fine as long as something else doesn't happen, and that's okay. You know, even Yosef, Yosef gets triggered, but then he composes himself afterwards again. Right? But what Yosef, and this is really, Yosef teaches us that sometimes you have to forget in order to move on. But yet, watch this. David HaMelech teaches us that sometimes you have to remember in order to move on. There are two bookends, and they're quite fascinating bookends, right? What is David HaMelech teaching us in this capital? Right, so what is David doing? David is saying, I'm currently facing difficult and adverse circumstances. So how am I going to navigate it? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So what does David HaMelech do? He says, let me remember all of the times in the past that I was in a difficult predicament and HaKadosh Baruch Hu came through for me. Again, coming through doesn't mean everyone lived happily ever after. Coming through doesn't mean that every crisis was resolved exactly as I wanted it resolved. But coming through means I'm still standing. You know, the Ramban brings down, the Ramban says, you know, we read a couple of weeks ago about Yaakov Avinu's fight, the all-night fight that he had with the Ish, with this mysterious man, who again, the Mepharshim uh, identify as the Sorshes of the, the, the ministering angel of Esav. And what does the Torah say? The next morning, the next morning, Yaakov Avinu is still standing, but he's limping. And the Ramban says, This story is a metaphorical foreshadow for our people. The story of Klal Yisrael is, we are still standing, but we are limping. But we are limping. And it's not just the story of a nation. 
it's often our own story as well. I get through difficult situations. I'm not the same person. I'm not fine. It's not like the, you know, the crisis has, is over and now. Okay, things are like they used. Right? You remember back in life when you had your first major crisis? Your first major crisis? And then it came to an end. And all you wanted more than anything were for things to go back the way they were before the crisis. And then you learn the all-important life lesson that after crisis, things never go back the way they were. Crisis leaves you changed forever. You're a different person. Life could still be beautiful. Life could still be wonderful. You could still be incredible. But you will always be a different person because every crisis leaves you limping in some way, shape, or form. So David HaMelech says something amazing. So David HaMelech says, I am in crisis. So how am I going to get through it? Lahaskir, by memory. I have to remember that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has come through for me every time. Okay, I have my scars. I limp around a lot, David HaMelech says. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has never left me out to dry. He's never left me hanging, right? He's never left me without recourse, without a solution. So now that I face of Shalom, now that's Kapitel Ayin, now that I face of Shalom, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to come through for me again. David Amal teaches us about the power of remembering in order to be able to navigate through crisis, particularly that when you're in crisis, remember a time before that you were in crisis and HaKadosh Baruch Hu helped you get through it. And the same way that you got through it in the past, you'll somehow get through your current circumstance now as well. But Yosef teaches us the power of forgetting. Right? The opposite. Yosef says that sometimes when you are faced with a difficult predicament, if you want to go ahead and build a beautiful life for yourself, you have to let go of what was. You have to let go of the pain. You have to let go of the anger. You have to let go of the negativity in order that you could build something beautiful going forward. Two different models. Two different models. The power of remembering as a way of moving forward and the power of forgetting as a way of moving forward. David, draw on the successes of the past in order to navigate the difficult circumstances of the present. Yosef, sometimes you just have to let go of the frustration and the pain of the past in order to be able to build a beautiful future going forward. The two bookends of successful living coming from two incredibly great men. Now to be clear, remember the beauty of this is that you need both of these. You need David HaMelech and you need Yosef HaTzadik. And sometimes you even need both of them at the same time, sometimes. But more often than not, I think again, different approaches lend themselves to different life circumstances. And now you understand coming full circle why David HaMelech felt that this was such an important capital that he puts in there, Lam Natseach. Because remember again, Lam Natseach, there's 150 chapters in Tehillim. And the majority of them, David HaMelech did not assign for singing in the Beis HaMikdash. There are a select few. There are a select few that get Lam Natseach. Because David HaMelech felt that the message that they contained was so profound and so pivotal that they needed to be part of Beis HaMikdash service. And now we understand why this capital is included. Darunel telling us that when we face difficult circumstances, sometimes just remember one difficulty you had in your past. Remember that you got through that, maybe limping as a result, 
But if you got through that difficult chapter in your past, then in Mirat Hashem, you'll be able to navigate this difficult chapter as well. Profound lesson all the time, but certainly a profound lesson for the times in which we are living as well. And halavai, we should all be zochem, Mirat Hashem, to really fill ourselves with Tavad HaMelech's strength, with Yosef HaTzadik's strength, to know when to remember and to know when to forget. I'll just stop here for tonight. Shkach, everyone.